Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Don't want to run too long, but I do just want to give a quick little sermon on living for the next generation. I felt like that'd be appropriate with everything that's going on. Um, so in all the hustle and bustle of the doors opening and all that without the babies, I try to do that um, really, really quickly. I, I think it's, um, it's definitely a part of the heart of this house. I think it's a part of the heart of the kingdom of God to be people who live for the next generation. And when you understand that you're living for the next generation, it puts you in a posture, a mindset of thinking long-term, not short-term. I'd say every parent here obviously has the mindset of, I want my kids to go further than I've gone, or I want them, my ceiling is their floor. And that's appropriate, and that's a God-given thing that God has put into each one of us. And each generation living for the next generation is extremely kingdom. And I'm going to read a little bit of scripture on that um, here in a second. But first, I, um, I want to tell you the most embarrassing story that happened to me in high school. I fell over a fence in front of the entire cheerleading team in 10th grade and cut my face, my hands, and my knees. You guys want to hear this story really quick? Uh, 100% true story. So I played high school basketball, and um, I kind of went to like a high school basketball clinic. It was all about basketball. I was this height and about 40 pounds heavier in 10th grade. There was a whole lot of me. There was a lot of Landon. Um, And so I was in 10th grade, and my coach was very big on off-season training, um, specifically on just staying in shape. It was part of the game plan that we could outlast everyone. Um, I went to a school that was so old and so broken, it's no longer even there, and the gym had no air conditioner. This is in South Louisiana. So we were always, like, always reaching at least to, like, the Final Four in the state championships, and I think that was because no one could beat us at home because they'd all pass out (laughs) from the heat. But uh, somehow all of me could sustain. So I was pretty good at a young age, but I wasn't in good shape, um, as you can imagine. And uh, so what we would do is we'd do preseason training. So we'd leave the gym, and we'd go walk out to the track, um, just like, you know, a normal track. And we would do that, and you had to run a six-minute mile um, in order to be able to make the team. Now, I don't know if any of you are runners. That's a hard thing to do. Um, But being in 10th grade, you should be able to do that, especially if you're an athlete. So we're running out to the track, and there's you walk out of the gym, and there's grass, and then there's gravel. And at the edge of the grass, there was about a two-foot rope fence that was basically telling everyone, don't park here. Does that make sense to you? Just a real small fence that just said, hey, just just don't park here. So I come outside, and to the left was where the entire cheerleading team was. and I'm running out, you know, and I'm trying to look cool. 10th grade, you know, running out, you know. And there's a whole lot of me. I also have size 15 shoe, which it's been that way since 7th grade. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of trotting out looking cool. And I try to just nonchalantly jump over this fence. Well, if you've ever seen someone fall, I kind of did this nonchalant cool thing and clipped the front of my foot and went completely forward from the grass onto the gravel and there's a whole lot of me that's, that was falling. So I don't know if you've ever felt like that. There's really no way to recover. There's not like a cool thing to do. 
um, all cool points go out whenever you fall like that. So I just kind of like kind of laughed and kind of played it off. And everyone who was around, which was like 30 people watching, uh, no one, everyone kind of felt bad for me. Like, did you really just do that? Um, so literally had blood on my face. I had uh, scraped up my hands really bad. I, I, I still do, but I used to play the guitar all the time and couldn't do it for a couple of days. Then I had to go out. Uh, past all of that embarrassment and actually try to run a six-minute mile, which I was walking into knowing there's no way <laughs> that I'm going to run a six-minute mile. Um, so I wasn't able to do the mile. But my coach uh, had a lot of grace on me, so what he, he, he allowed me to, uh, I, I could run two times around the track in three minutes. And then the next day, he would let me do the same thing. He, he broke the rules for me, um, which shows you that I had a weight problem. So you can laugh, it's okay. And then secondly, uh, I, I must have been not that bad at basketball. He really needed me on the team. He needed me to throw around all of my weight and get the rebounds. Um, so I'm out there, and I couldn't do it. This is 100% true story. I, I couldn't. It was very hard for me to run long distance. And when I would run by myself and I was timed by myself, it was very hard. But it was very different, and some of you may have experienced this. When you are in like a relay setting and someone goes before you, and someone's after you, you run faster. When, some, when you're on a team, and you have to pass the baton, you run different. Everyone's cheering you on. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. It's not about you. It's about the next person. You want to set the next person up for success. So I'm cheering the person on in front of me, and I don't want the, I want to win, and I don't want the guy behind me to be completely messed over because I was too slow. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, it's very similar to that in the kingdom of God. Every generation passes the baton to the next generation. And if you don't think like that, you, re you really become self-focused and inward, and you just think about your life. But when you think about what your grandparents did, what your parents did, and what you want to pass to the next generation, it changes the way you run. It changes how you think. Everything's different when you think long-term. Okay, I'm going to prove this to you in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to read a couple verses here, but first I want to say this. So I'm going to read out of Hebrews 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it would take 10 minutes, but I am going to just kind of set it up what it's saying. This is kind of like the Faith Hall of Fame in the Bible, and it, what it does is it starts all the way back here with Abraham. I'm sorry, Abel. And it goes through generation to generation of how they lived and how they passed the baton to the next generation. So I'm paraphrasing here for a second. So um, by faith, Abel offered to God something. Next, pass the baton. By faith, Enoch passed the baton. Verse 7. By faith, Noah passed the baton. By faith, Abraham passed the baton. By faith, Sarah. It's going down generation to generation. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Moses. He's, he's trying to show us each generation pass the baton down. He gets to the point where he just says, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So he's just saying, like, all these people by faith did all of this stuff. Okay, and then check this out. Go ahead, Christy, you can put it up. Okay, so this is after all of that stuff, and it says this. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. 
because God had provided something better for us, that's us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. Okay, so this literally says, hey, all those heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Enoch, Moses, they they actually didn't fulfill everything that they were supposed to fulfill. Why? Because they wanted to pass it to us. And now there's a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. There's two ways to look at that. They're all throughout Scripture. This is one of those funny things in the Bible. Um, there's mentioned several times that we're with a cloud of witnesses of men wearing white linen. I don't know if those are angels. I have no idea. Um, but there are witnesses in heaven surrounding us watching. And all of heaven, including the witnesses and these heroes, are standing in heaven cheering us on, saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. You can look at it like this. They, they did their job. They did the best they could. They didn't fulfill it, and they passed the baton to you and I. And we get a choice now of how we're going to steward that. And you can, you can spend your life however you want to spend it. You don't have to worry about the next generation. But if you want to be... If you want to be a part of this lineage and this history, God is inviting us in to live for the next generation. So that means, according to the scripture, you and I are not going to fulfill everything that's on our heart. But, but, but our kids are going to walk into it. See, Abraham went and found a city whose builder was God in this scripture, and his kids walked into it. And then his kids walked into it. And then the next kids walked into it. And you and I have that opportunity Everything we advance, our kids could walk into. So we need to be dreaming big enough to know it's probably not possible in my lifetime, but my kids will see it. Can I get an amen? Um, This really, really matters. This isn't some like, I'm not trying to get you excited. This is 100% how the kingdom works. It passes from generation to generation to advance, to advance, to advance. Okay, really quick. I want to do this. It's three things that I feel like we should pass on to the next generation. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you have kids, if you have grandkids. Thinking about how to posture our hearts for the next generation, for them to go further than we went, are these three things. There's a, there's a hundred of them. Here's the three that really resonate in my heart for Stacy and I and our family. We have four kids, eight and younger, um, so this obviously matters to us. Okay, so the first one is that God is a provider. God is a father. He has unlimited resources. Um, God never set measurements for us to dream within. God never said you can have this much, you should think this big. It's actually the exact opposite. He said you can have as much as you want. You can go from glory to glory. God never. There's not one biblical example of God limiting someone's dreams. Now, he's a father who sets no limit on us of how big we can dream. And we're supposed to do that to our kids. So let me give you a tangible example. 
if, if I'm communicating to my children about money, I'm going to talk about money here, but all of resources, and let's say I allow them to dream in a $100,000 capacity, then they're going to grow up dreaming in a $100,000 capacity. If I teach them to dream in a $5 million capacity, they're going to dream in a $5 million capacity. If I'm talking about money as though it's stressful, although it's difficult to get, resources are tough, times are hard, God doesn't favor us, I'm limiting the real estate that they're going to dream within. You guys with me? And I'm very convinced it comes down to how we communicate about money. You may make $40,000 a year. You may make $500,000 a year. It doesn't matter. How are you communicating to your children about resources? So here's the key. Complain on the porch. If you're going to talk about money in your household and your kids are around, don't do it in a way where money is difficult, hard, or there's not enough. Because you are seeding into their head. I can't dream. I'm telling you, this. I put this number one because I actually think it is the number one thing. We cannot afford to have the next generation thinking in terms of poverty. We can't afford to have the next generation dreaming as big as we dreamed. And how we're communicating about resources dictates how big they're going to dream. And if God has unlimited resources, that's why he says nothing is impossible. See, it's impossible to... I'm just going to use a really elaborate example. It's impossible to go on a $50,000 vacation to Hawaii. Most of us in the room cannot do that. Um, With God, it's possible. That's a horrible biblical example. But I'm just giving you a try to just tangibly think like, we want them thinking bigger. I don't want them thinking in small capacity. I want them thinking that, man, we have unlimited resources, and with God, everything is possible. Jesus mentions twice Matthew 10:27 I believe every time he says nothing is impossible go look it up it's attached to resources cuz he knows that we think in terms of quantity and he doesn't so with God nothing's impossible it's around the idea of having resources and our kids need to grow up dreaming really really big thinking that God has unlimited resources and they can think really really big okay tangible example of this what I do for my kids I obviously there's this tension of like you want to teach them stewardship and how to budget and I understand that and I'm not please don't hear me say buy them everything they want that's the exact opposite of what I'm saying but the language around what you buy them is really important so I'll go into the store with my daughter Hope this is a good key you know that if you walk into Target there's a little like two dollar section up front with those toys how many parents have figured that out and so I'll say, yeah, I hope we can go get a toy. You can, you, I want you to get it in this section. And she, she'll say, how much money can I spend? I say, I want you to spend $3. And she says, well, I want this other gift. And it's like, you know, at Target, they have like $50 toys. And I'll say, it's not that we can't get that help. It's just not the best use of our money. We want to steward our money and put it in other places. She's thinking my dad can buy that. She's thinking we have unlimited resources, but we're stewarding our finances. Are you guys with me? How we're talking about money is really, really important. Okay, sorry. I'm starting to preach here. Okay, number two, um, honoring other people. Okay, here at Cedar House, we talk about we have a culture of honor. 
Um, the simplest way to describe a culture of honor is this. We celebrate who people are without stumbling over what they're not. We value the gold on people's lives. We're not trying to find the dirt. It takes no talent to know what's wrong with someone. It's very easy to do that. The world can figure that out. And scripturally, it's, it's called gossip. If you walk away talking about the negative in someone versus talking about the positive. We all have problems. We all have faults. It's very easy to find. Everyone's going to aggravate you. Can we be honest? Every human being on earth will aggravate you. And it's really easy to look at that through a lens of looking at the dirt on their life and not the good on their life. Okay. Teaching our kids how to honor someone looks like this. Honoring someone, you, you can tell if you're honoring someone by how you're appraising them, how you're evaluating someone. So my kids will come home and say, hey, so-and-so lied to me on the playground. And this is a, a, a such a good opportunity. I'll say, well, tell me three things about that person you like. I'm teaching my kids, I want you to focus on what's good with someone, not what's what's wrong with them. Even if they see a homeless person on the side of the road, I'll talk about something positive about that person. I want them appraising people through the lens of honor. I want them honoring other people, not seeing what's wrong with people. How many of you wish, as a child, you would have been taught how to look at through a lens of positivity? (laughs) This is really, really important. And again, I'm going to say it again. Complain's not the way I mean to say it, but, but I mean this. Complain on the porch. If you and your spouse are talking about a difficult situation with someone, don't do it around your kids. I can tell when parents talk negative things around their kids when I hear their kids talking. Are they okay just randomly shouting negative things about someone else? They're learning that from you. Amen? Okay, learning how to look through the lens of honor is really important. Okay, third and last one, I want to say this. Sowing and reaping, teaching our kids that you reap what you sow. As I mentioned to you a little while ago, I I got to go to this church conference, which is somewhat uncommon for me, Um, went this past week. Uh, It was kind of a conference on like Churchill, and Joel Olstein was there. And if you have a negative opinion about Joel Olstein, you need to go back to number two of what I said and learn how to honor people (laughs) and pull the gold on them. Joel Olstein will save more souls than all of us combined. He will touch more people than all of us combined, and we need to honor what's on his life. Whether you like his views of the gospel, you can honor him and pull the gold on his life. So he's up there getting interviewed. I've, I've honestly never heard of full Joel Olstein. I don't know who he is. I, I don't, like, follow him like that. He's up there getting interviewed. It's just an open Q&A. <clears throat> and... Um, This is not like a spiritually charged environment that we were in. And, uh, you know, it's all these pastors, and everyone's curious, like, how do you have a 70,000-person church? I mean, that's what everyone's thinking. Like, how in the world did you do this? And, like, how have you sold 30 million books? And how have you been on Oprah four times? And, I mean, just logically, human nature, we're all like, and these are the type of questions that he's being asked. And he just kept going back to, I am reaping the seeds that my father sowed 30 years ago. And it was literally like he did not take an ounce of credit. It 100% had to do with what his father did. His father's church, which is his church now, for 12 years was 70 people. And he was talking about those are the seeds that my father sowed that I get to walk into now with 50,000. And he 
he meant this so much. Like, you know, I've almost cried like four times. When I feel God, I cry. I'm kind of a teary guy. And uh, he, he's sitting up there, and, like, he had to stop himself a couple times from, like, talking about his dad and the seeds that his dad has sown. And one time, it just broke open, and he literally puts his hands down like this and just starts weeping. And it's just silent for like 10 seconds. It was the greatest moment of the conference. It was absolutely phenomenal because he got something that he knew he didn't. It was like he was just like, I don't know why I get to do this. My dad sowed seed. And he said, one of the things he said, he said, my dad sowed, my dad passed integrity to me. I just thought it was so good. So here's the thing. It just really rang spring to me. We have to teach our kids that you reap what you sow. Listen, we have to teach our kids responsibility and that they can't be a victim. No one's going to save them. No one's going to save the day. No agency is going to do it. No neighbor's going to do it. No one's going to save them. They're responsible for their life, and you can't save them forever. And if you, if you teach them that you reap what you sow, then if they're, getting, if they're reaping negative things in your life, change what they're sowing. Amen? If they're experiencing negative things coming back to them at a young age, they're sowing something wrong. It, it's a, it's, 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 reaping and sowing is like gravity. It is an equation that God has put into the kingdom that is not movable. You cannot escape gravity. You can't, you can't escape sowing and reaping. I, I think it's so big to teaching our kids responsibility that you will reap what you sow. If you sow good seed, you get good seed in return. How many of you need that message for yourself and not your kids? Yeah, me too. Um, that is a big deal to me, of teaching our children responsibility, teaching the next generation responsibility. There's a mentality that um, I can just kind of walk waywardly and everything's going to work out. And about 30 years old, you get slapped in the face and realize that's not true. It's not all just going to work out. I actually have to work really hard and be responsible for my actions. And we can teach that to our kids when they're 10. Amen? Okay. That's it. You're free. Leave. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll just close with this. The greatest model that you can have for the next generation, whether it's your kids or someone else's, is to model healthy marriage. I know that um, some of you have had some difficulties in that area, and I totally understand that. But the best of your ability, the way I love my wife, is the best thing I can do for my daughters. How I model health in my relationship with my spouse is the number one ministry I can have to my kids. So if we want to pass on to the next generation a lot of health, we need to have healthy marriages. And that is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. We're trying the best that you can. Awesome. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? We're going to pray and we'll close. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.